0: And we're back. We hope you had a wonderful holiday break. We have just a few weeks before the next one. A lot of things to talk about before then on Today in Ohio. It's the news podcast discussion from Cleveland.com and The Plain Dealer. I'm Chris Quinn here with Lisa Garvin, Layla Tassi, Laura Johnston, all settling back into the sausage making after an extended period away. So let's make some sausage. As long as
1: it's not turkey.
0: <laughs> <laughs> all right. This seems like one of those everything old is new again stories, but is there something that is actually new in the trend of schools abandoning letter grades like A's, B's, C's, and D's for students. Layla?
2: Yeah, this is a trend that more and more school districts in our region are embracing. They're, they're ditching the old letter grading system, replacing them with what's known as standards-based grading. So under the old system, and you know we all remember this, students' academic performance correlated to a letter grade, and, and the standards were very rigid. One test score could mean the difference between an A or a B on your report card in a certain subject, but that didn't necessarily convey where you were on the path toward mastering that subject or a set of skills. And the standards-based system does that. It's an evaluation of students' mastery of a subject and and where they can improve. It's a much more dynamic style of grading, and it gives parents, students, and teachers a, a more holistic view of a kid's progress because classes are broken down into these measured learning objectives. It makes it easier to track a kid's progress and, and it often means that kids are, uh, that it's easier to get them any help that they need. So in her story, Hannah drown took a look at how it's working in the Warrensville Heights District, which is piloting this new system right now and is planning and expanding it from uh, K through 4 to fifth grade as well. And they say that so far they've been getting great feedback from parents.
0: I'm surprised at this because I think at least twice in my lifetime we've gone down this road. When I was a kid, I think I was in third grade. The school I was at chucked A, B, C, D, and E, and I think we got numbers. But everybody just equated the numbers and then like the metric system, it was gone as soon as it was emphasized why this now what 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 is wrong with ABCD ABCDF well, what, mean, what's wrong with that this system?
2: method they've studied this method it does generally seem to have great benefits students say that they feel safer making errors because they know that it won't make or break their grade it's it's more it's okay to to make an error that shows where you are in your development and parents like getting that full picture of their kids understanding of concepts at school. But, but there are some who prefer the old system. Some students like that concrete measure of their academic performance and the accountability that comes with it. You know, in Hannah's story, she has kind of a sample of one of these report cards as the main art for the story. And that gives you a really good idea of, uh, of the kinds of things that they're measuring and how detailed they get. Personally, I, I like this grading system. Laura, your, your school district does this too. What do you think about it?
1: Yeah. they And they switched slowly. So my daughter's grade used it longer than my son's grade um, because they've been phasing it in grade by by grade. I think the goal is to get it. I don't know if they're eventually going to get it K through five or just through four. Um, This is the first year my daughter's not getting grades that are A's and stuff. I honestly, I find the numbers a little bit confusing because of the way the quarters work because you can't have mastered a subject in the first quarter. So you might have a one or two and that would make it look like you're not doing very well, but really you can't have mastered it. So you're still growing. So I, I didn't find it that insightful as a parent. Also, we also do one, twos and threes for behavior. And I feel like the opposite is true. So I don't know. It's probably whatever you get used to, but um, I I see the mastery of the subject. I think that's really important. And the kids are little. Like, it doesn't matter if you're in kindergarten getting an A. Like, that is not, it, it does matter whether you know the subject matter or not.
0: Is it just elementary school? We're not doing this in high school?
2: It seems so far that it's just being used. I think in high school there, I mean, there are so many electives you can take and, and you know, there are so many different, there's, you know, a lot of kids are taking advanced placement classes. It might be harder to apply this to them because if you look, for instance, like reading, I'm looking at the sample report card. In the old days, you would get ABCDE, you know, ABCDF for reading and that's it. And you don't really know why you scored that, but here it breaks it down into like, a half dozen or so different, you know, determines the main idea or central message of a text and the details that support it. You'd be graded specifically on that. Describe the relationship between a series of historical events, scientific ideas or concepts. You know, these are all things that that make up the reading subject and their individual skills. And you know exactly where your student you know, stands on their, their own learning curve that's, in each of those That's true. math will
1: tell you like whether you just don't get fractions or something like that.
0: Right, right. I worry that fringe people will make this the next battlefront for politicization to, to come out and basically say this is a snowflake thing to keep from judging <laughs> students and, and you could politicize the classroom again the way they did with CRT, the phony issue a few years back. Uh, I hope not. I hope People respect the educational system for trying something new, but I could see, you could just see the people that that are always trying to inflame their base using this as an attack tool. You're listening to Today in Ohio. We took a look at some of the 1,200 comments submitted by the public about the proposal to rename Wayne National Forest. What do the comments say? And given what happened with the fictional comments that were submitted about the idea for drilling under Ohio State Parks, can we really believe anything we're reading about Wayne Forest, Laura?
1: Well, we're not getting the same standardized form letter at least that's not what Sabrina Eaton picked out to show us what people are writing about Wayne National Forest. And I think if they were fictional, they would be a little more professional sounding than something that wrote all in caps, stop caving to the vile leftist agenda to destroy America. So I feel like they'd be a little more PC in their terms. But so 1200 comments, Sabrina looked through them. She said they're about half and half um, for and against. Now, of course, the idea is that you could rename this forest so it's not after a general who committed atrocities against indigenous people. That's the main issue here. And so someone who is a descendant of general Anthony Wayne said they actually support the name change. It's embarrassing and appalling to honor someone who so violently removed the indigenous peoples of Ohio. Thank you for your consideration. Um, and so there are people on either side of it. What I thought was interesting. So Buckeye national forest is being, thrown out as, as a possible replacement. Some people said it's too generic. I don't like it. And it makes me think it's affiliated with Ohio State University, which I get too. So I, I, there's a whole gamut of opinions here.
0: Yeah. and And they were pretty evenly divided, right? About half the people don't want to rename right. it.
1: Yes, absolutely. So somebody said it's time to take a stand against wokeism. Stop genuflecting before it. They don't want to change. And you know you're always going to get people that are like just just very much holding on to the past and what always has been. And they don't like to rethink the ideas that things are changing. Um, but, yeah, it's divided. And it will be interesting to see what happens going forward. This is our only national forest in Ohio. We
0: did publish a pretty full profile on the guy it's mm-hmm. named for, and he wasn't a great historical character in a lot of respects, uh, but it does get back into the whole idea. Do we just rename everything we've ever named because we're always going to find flaws in the people in history?
3: <laughs> right. Like 70 or 80 birds we're going <laughs> to rename.
0: Yeah.
1: I mean, there not everyone is, you know, killed off huge numbers of people but i I get it people can do good things and bad things and it's hard you don't know until hindsight and your values change what people are going to think of people in the future
0: okay you're listening to today in ohio Even though Ohio voters overwhelmingly approved legalized recreational marijuana with language that sets the potency, are Ohio lawmakers going to reject the will of the voters and set low limits for potency? Lisa, they have the power, but are they going to do it?
3: It'll be interesting to see. And if Ohio does like put it to a really low limit, we would be an outlier as far as other states are concerned. But as we know, lawmakers can amend or repeal an initiated statute. Senator Matt Huffman has signaled that he wants to fix what he calls an error in the language about THC limits. So the statute is 41 pages long. It says that the content limit shall not be any less than 35% are plants or flower and no less than 90% for like tinctures and extracts. But the Ohio commerce department's division of cannabis control can increase or eliminate these content limits if they so choose. Now, Tom Heron, who's been the, uh, the uh, mouthpiece for the legalization of recreational marijuana. He says the issue to language is clear. These are maximum amounts, not minimums. They said that they actually use the medical marijuana parameters to side, which are very similar. They're actually 35% for flour and 70% for extracts. But some argue that that language means that the 35 and the 90% would be minimum limits. Um, this so says Douglas Berman, who is an executive director for the Ohio State University Drug Enforcement Policy Center. Um, but we talked to a poli-sci professor at Wright State University, Lee Han, and he says, these are maximums. It's clumsily worded, but imagine aiming to, s- they were trying to set ceilings and not floors in this uh, statute.
0: Look, if this is just about cleaning up confusion. It's fine, right? That's mm-hmm. what the voters approved. If this is really an attempt to stamp out marijuana use by setting low potency levels, they're going to infuriate the public. I wrote a piece over the weekend asking people where we should focus our advocacy in 2024. And I used open primaries as one possible example. And I expected an even number of responses from people saying, no, leave the system the way it is, or pointing me in other directions. I never expected what I got, which was almost, almost unanimity. I have to go through them all today of people who are furious with this legislature, furious with the state of things. They're angry that they didn't fix gerrymandering. They can't wait to try and fix that system. I think that's going to win overwhelmingly when it's on the ballot. They're fed up and it's Republicans, Democrats, liberals, conservatives. This is not the government they want. They don't feel like these folks listen to them at all. If they mess with marijuana... It's another example of what they're of, of their feeling like we're going to ram it down your throat. It's the kind of stuff like Jerry Serino's doing the state senator from out in, in Lake County. He is trying to force down the throats of Ohio a bill that would pretty much turn universities into fascist training centers. Nobody wants it. And yet he's not listening. This is another example of that. And I, I just. If they do it, they're going to create the pitchfork and torches kind of response. Well,
3: and they'll, they'll support the black market as well. So we looked at other states. None of them have a, a minimum or a maximum. Now I'm getting confused myself. <laughs> but basically, in Connecticut, their maximum is 30% for flour, 60% for concentrate. In Montana... The highest, actually, surprising, but given it's a conservative state, 35% maximum for flour, um, 100 milligrams for edibles. And then Vermont, 30% flour, 60% concentrate, but no limits on pre-filled vape pens. And back to OSU's Berman, he says there's a lot of debate on whether or how to set the THC ceiling. There are some public health concerns that might be important. Um, but he says that, you know, some want to go down to 10% a maximum for flour, but he says we want the Ohio Department of Commerce to set the limit, but not too low.
0: Other states are not having a problem with this. Right. So the legislature seems like or Matt Huffman seems like he's trying to create a problem where none exists. The voters spoke pretty loudly here, so we'll have to see where they go next. It's just the 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 idea with both abortion and marijuana that the initial reaction of the Republicans in the legislature was that we're going to change it. We don't Mm -hmm. care what the voters said has infuriated the public. They are just not happy with the way the lawmakers are working and they really want those open primaries. So something we'll have to talk about in 2024. You're listening to today in Ohio. The vilification of teachers, largely by fringe Republicans who have tried to politicize the classroom, as we mentioned earlier, has resulted in a dearth of college students seeking teaching degrees. Layla, has that caused a teacher shortage across Ohio?
2: We are seeing a teacher shortage in our region. Reporter Hannah Drown tells us that the number of people Entering the teaching profession has decreased by 80% over the last few decades. In 1971, education degrees accounted for more than 20% of all bachelor's degrees nationwide, and that number fell to just 4% by 2020. In Ohio... The number of newly credentialed teachers has been on a really steady decline since 2014, and over the past five years, more teachers have left the field than entered the field in 12 of 17 categories. That includes elementary education, special education, world languages, visual arts, and health, and largely, it's because there's less support for teachers. They're facing a lot of public scrutiny and pressure. The majority of teachers who responded to a recent survey by the Ohio Federation of Teachers reported lower job satisfaction than when they first started, and they say they've considered leaving the profession. Of the respondents who have decided to leave, the majority listed student behavior, lack of autonomy or respect, the emphasis on standardized, standardized tests, and longer working hours as the reasons for, for choosing a different path.
0: I It's Fascinating how the public opinion of teachers has changed so dramatically in this country. And, you know, a lot of it gets chalked up to, well, the teachers unions are too powerful, which is kind of nonsense. But why would you want to go into teaching when you have factions just attacking everything you do and politicizing your work to educate children?
2: I know it's 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 really a depressing moment to consider that. I mean, teachers have historically been the heroes, the you know the unsung heroes of our society, and then these past several years, it's just been completely like, the, the vilification of teachers is is unconscionable. And I don't know how you, do, you know, What do you do in this moment? Well, and I mean, schools are are trying. Like Cleveland State is trying to make their programs more enticing by offering more virtual classes and. The US Department of Education is suggesting making training programs more affordable and offering, you know, other apprenticeships and teacher residency programs. But it's a it's it's a very hard thing to combat when people it's it's like policing in a lot of ways vilification of police officers has, has also led to that decline in, in their numbers.
3: If I could jump in here, too, is that, you know, we've reported on this as well, is that the kids don't respect the teachers either. They're acting out in class. It's gotten worse since the pandemic. Some teachers have been violently attacked by students. So there's that it, that issue as well.
1: And I think parents used to always back the teachers, right? And like, what did you do at school? And I feel like teachers now say Mm -hmm. that they're getting attacked from parents Mm -hmm. saying, how dare you do that to my kid? Mm -hmm. Yeah.
0: I've said before, I'm married to a teacher, so I have a vested interest in this, but I do understand why people would look at that and say, yeah, I'm not doing that. I'll go into something where I'm not going to be vilified just for trying to do my job. You're listening to Today in Ohio. Speaking of teachers, they know the value of drugs like Adderall for helping students with ADHD stay focused and thrive. There's a nationwide shortage of it, though. How is that playing out for parents who desperately need it for their children? Laura.
1: Apparently this has been going on for a year and it's really difficult for parents to find the pills that their kids need to function. Even some adults need them to function every day. And there can be slow release pills, there can be boosters that people are taking and all of it is really hard to find. It's going to be hard to find until about 2025. And this is due a couple of factors. One, a lot more people have been diagnosed with ADHD and are using the medication. Also, it's being used to treat long COVID, which I had no idea about. But think about this, January 2021, there are about 7,000 Adderall prescription fills compared to 20,000 in March 2023. And so there's just this huge demand. At the same time, there's been a decrease in supply and the prescription drug companies didn't necessarily know how to plan for this. And they can't just make more with a snap of a finger.
0: So In the past, you had to visit a doctor to be able to get a prescription. But because of the pandemic, lots of people were able to do it with teledoctors.
1: Exactly. So it made it a lot easier to get it. And I think there's just been a new understanding of ADHD. I mean, when I was a kid, I don't know that I knew anybody who was diagnosed with ADHD. And now it's super common and a lot more accepted. And the thing is, and I had no idea how... Drugs really worked in the United States with the, um, with the DEA, the Drug Enforcement Administration. They give companies an annual allotment of raw materials to make these stimulants. That's based on their prediction of how many pills are going to be needed the, f- the following year. So there's a big lag. And when something like ADHD is growing and the use of these pills are growing, and it's not just Adderall, it's Ritalin and all of the different drugs that are used to treat ADHD, whether or not they're generic or name brand. When there's a lag in that, they just, they can't all of a sudden make more because they reformat their factories to make different pills or they don't have the supplies on hand. So they can't just like say, oh, we need another 30,000 of these. We're going to make them real quick.
0: You do worry about with that increase in the prescriptions that it might be overprescribed, but we also know That with kids that actually have real ADHD, this is kind of a miracle drug. It helps them to learn, to thrive, do well in the classroom. And teachers, as I said, I'm married to one, can always tell when the kids have gone off of it because the behavior changes almost overnight.
1: Yeah. And like I said, there's a couple different kinds of pills, right? And there's slow release. So kids could take it in the morning. It would last them all day. Now school nurses are saying they have to give them out in the middle of the day because they can't even get those slow release pills. They've got to take them twice a day. And these are not cheap. So there's something called Vivance that costs about $469 for a 30-day supply without insurance. And the generic is about $369. So you are not going on these drugs if you don't need them. I mean, that's an incredible expense on a family
2: does does the supply and demand issue affect the price or or are they pretty fixed probably
1: i i I would think it affects the price i don't know that for sure
0: okay it's a good story it's on cleveland.com and you're listening to today in ohio We've talked a lot about the homicide rate in Northeast Ohio in recent years, but another cause of death also is in record territory. Lisa, where do we stand on overdose deaths with a little over a month to go in 2023?
3: Well, according to the Cuyahoga County Medical Examiner, he's estimating that we will have 726 overdose deaths by the end of this year. That would be just shy shy of the record in 2017, which was 727 deaths in Last year, in 2022, there were 642 overdose deaths. And Dr. Thomas Gilson, the M.E., is saying that fentanyl is still the main culprit, but they're seeing a cocaine-fentanyl mix exceeding previous records. So through September... 370 people have died from overdoses of heroin, fentanyl, or a combination thereof. 487 were cocaine deaths, and at least 50% of all of these deaths were in the city of Cleveland. So uh, two public health alerts were actually issued for our area in June and July following clusters of overdose deaths where several people died within 24 hours, meaning there was a bad batch on the street there. Uh, many fentanyl deaths, people are unaware that they're ingesting it. They think it might be coke or heroin, which just goes to show a lot of these drugs are being laced with fentanyl these days. The County Alcohol Drug Addiction and Mental Health Service Board has worked with Metro Health Hospitals to install vending machines that have test strips for drugs and naloxone, which helps you get over an overdose. They're also putting lock boxes in public areas like uh, convenience stores on the Ohio Turnpike. and in laundromats that would dispense a a kit that has naloxone, a mask, and instructions for CPR.
0: This is one of the key arguments for legalizing recreational marijuana. At least people would know they're getting a product that isn't secretly Mm -hmm. laced with this killer killer drug. It, this just snuck up on us. I don't think we'd been talking much this year about overdose deaths, and so this announcement from the medical examiner was a bit of a shock.
3: It was. Other than those two clusters that we had over the summer, which was alarming, um, we haven't. it's been kind of under the radar.
0: Okay. You're listening to Today in Ohio. As the year-end holiday season is upon us, we have a real estate market unlike anything we have seen in quite a few years. Mortgage rates are super high. Home buyers are in shorter supply. What does it all mean, Layla, for the people who need to sell their houses in a time of the year when sales are traditionally pretty slow?
2: So yes, the the housing market this year has been has, seeing rising mortgage rates, low inventory. The average thirty-year fixed mortgage rate was seven point four four percent last week. That's up slightly from seven point zero eight and mid-November a year ago, but it's up sharply from 3.1% at the same time two years ago. In addition to that, home prices are still really high, and all of that is just really squeezing affordability. And that has meant far fewer houses have been changing hands these past couple of years. But there's a silver lining because realtors say this is a very good time of year to buy because most people are consumed by the holidays. They're not really thinking about buying real estate. So there are fewer buyers on the market and there are deals to be made. According to Zillow, coming out of the fall season, 26.1% of Greater Cleveland sellers made price cuts up from 22.5% in September. And that's the sixth largest jump among the 50 largest U.S. metro areas. And this trend during winter months is pretty typical. From 2015 through 2019, the median selling price was 22,000 to 33,000 lower in the winter than in the summer. And it's because houses that didn't sell during those high months, for whatever reason they they weren't moving ready or they weren't, were priced too high, they're still on the market and their prices are being slashed now. So demand is low, inventory is high, and if if lenders haven't reached their goals, they may be willing to offer a lower financing rate despite these, these historic highs we've seen. So the takeaway here is that even though it's been a tough couple of years for home buyers, winter might be your best season to make a deal.
0: Laura, this must boggle your mind. I remember when you were buying your house, it was so much more of a seller's market that you, were, you would see a house pop up on your phone and almost run out the door to go see it. And by the time you could see it, it was sold already. Uh, I mean, this is just the polar opposite where the buyers are in control.
1: Yeah, we bid on five houses before we could get ours, but and it's been it's cyclical, right? Like during the pandemic, people would buy anything and now it's the opposite. And so I guess it's it's just like anything else. You have to know when to buy and sell at the right time. Obviously the mortgage rates don't help anything. So, um, but yeah, good luck to me. Yeah. I'm, never <laughs> I'm never moving. Like <laughs> like I'm just staying here till the end of my life. Okay.
0: You're <laughs> listening to today in Ohio. The decision is final on the old Eagle Avenue bridge in Cleveland. Lisa, what is ahead?
3: Yeah, this, uh, Eagle Avenue Bridge was built in the 1930s. It was the first vertical lift bridge, but they have to take it down next year. It's just really corroding. Um, they're worried that it's going to fall into the river and affect shipping. The vertical supports are failing with a widespread corrosion on the towers and severe corrosion on the trusses. So there's a risk of collapse, they say, during a major wind event. So they're going to start next July. It's going to be a long process. It's going to take almost a year. They're going to start July, and they'll be done by May of twenty. 2025 at a cost of about $3.3 million, most of that coming from the Ohio Department of Transportation, which will be taking it down. It was last rehabbed in 1991. It was closed to vehicles in 2005, and then the city stopped maintaining it then. And they directed that money to other lift bridges that are still in use and still fine. So Willow Avenue, Center Street, Columbus Road, Carter Road, and West 3rd Street are all in good and fair condition, and they're not going to be closing those.
0: Yeah, we're going to try and do a photo documentation of it during the changing of the seasons before they tear it down over the next year. Just this is it. Once it's gone, it's gone for good. But the more you can document it photographically, you can keep it alive.
3: And they want to save some of the pieces, too. They're thinking about saving like the West End gate. They might rehab it and reinstall it. And they might take chunks of the bridge and display them in little pocket parks in the area.
0: All right. You're listening to Today in Ohio. You have to respect the people who volunteered to pose for this. Laura, what is the dad bods calendar of Cleveland?
1: I love this story from Molly Walsh. I had never heard of the dad bods calendar of Cleveland, but it is a hilarious fundraiser. Not your typical model bodies. We're talking about big guts that flow over pants basically (laughs) but shiny pants studios is selling this calendar with proceeds benefiting meals on wheels it's 20 bucks which would supply a full day of meals for a senior resident in northeast ohio and i love that they're having fun with this so the owner of the photography studio explained this that you're not going to find a dad bod in la or in Phoenix, a dad bod is like a flannel shirt. It's well-worn. You're comfortable. You're unfussy. You probably wish they were 20 pounds lighter and could do stuff they did when they were in high school. But at the same time, they enjoy their beer and wings. So good for body diversity. They raised $2,000 last year. They hope to raise $5,000 this year.
0: Yeah, it's a, it was a good holiday story for the long weekend of content we needed to generate Uh, Again, I salute the guys that post for that because that's going to be there forever now. Uh,
3: But can
1: I? Well, what the guy who's.
3: Yeah, I was just going to say, if they did that same calendar
1: for women, I I just don't. I don't know. It just. Yeah, it would not. It it would would apparently have. It wouldn't go well. (laughs) They have gotten a request for granny body calendar. So I hope they do it and I hope someone buys it. But um, the cover model is 29. He says he's always been self conscious about his body, but that this photo shoot was a huge ego boost. And he thought, damn, I look good, strong, comfortable, and foundational. So good for him. I mean, I I love it.
0: All right. You're listening to Today in Ohio. That's it for the Monday after Thanksgiving. Thanks, Lisa. Thanks, Layla. Thanks, Laura. Thank you for listening. We will return with another discussion of the news on Tuesday.